Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I got a, 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 a whole lot of money for not necessarily a whole lot of time. And so it completely changed my perspective of value and money and time. And um, that set me off onto a, a trajectory that uh, has completely changed everything. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and it is my honor today to welcome Shannon Graham, who is the world's top go-to guy for visionary, visionary leaders who want to change the world by doing the impossible. It's so cool. His work has done everything from raise the GDP of an entire country that's pretty crazy. Revolutionizing immigration and helping end video game addiction. Um, so his work, the, through his work, he aims to create an unprecedented civilization where the world enjoys more peace, prosperity, and, and expansion. He's also the author of two books. One is called Expand, Leadership That Moves, Fulfills, and Changes the World. And the other one is The Revolution of Self, the three keys to personal liberation. And that's the one that we're going to focus on today because who doesn't need personal liberation, right? Welcome, Shannon. Thank you. So um, I, I was really, really impressed by your background. I mean, you, you've like been through it. I mean, we've all had stuff. Everybody gets their share of stuff uh, in in life, but you have had really a, an interesting background and childhood, and all the things that brought you to the work that you're doing today. Can you just share a little bit about that? I think it's really compelling and powerful. Yeah, um, you know, I um, I had, I suppose, what you'd call a rough childhood. Um, my dad was not in the picture. My mom worked three jobs. Um, you know, I got into drugs, alcohol, crime, things like that at a pretty young age. Um, and, um, you know, at one point in my, in my kind of early twenties, I was actually homeless for a while as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a good amount of, um, challenge in my early years and the kind of opportunity that came from that is, uh, it led me to uh, personal development. And um, that, you know, the, the cool thing about self-help is that you get to help yourself. And so uh, that really was the turning point for me. I, I reached such a low point in my life that it was really like, you know, jail or worse, or we need to do something drastic to to change this. And um so luckily I got my hands on some good self-help material and, and really took it seriously. And, um, uh, I think that, you know, 
was out of necessity. It was because I was in a place where I had to do something different. And, um, you know, as Tony Robbins says, um, when you must, you can. And uh, that was really the key uh, for me as well. Yeah. So what was the, I, I always say that there's like this moment where people just decide like that that's, that this is how it's going to go. Like that there, there's no other options. There's no plan B. Like, uh, and, and it sounds like you had this time in your life where you were like, okay, I'm at a crossroads here. I, it's either jail or worse or something different. What was that moment for you? Um, you know, the, the truth is, uh, sadly, I have some suicide in my family. And so I reached such a low point where I was beginning to flirt with that idea. And I, and I asked myself one question. I said, is, is this it? You know, is this my legacy? And the resounding answer I got back was no. You know, the, your story is not done. And I said, okay, well, I need something. I need, I need to change something. If my story is not done, then I need some kind of solution. And um, yeah, so that the decision to find a solution was that good kind of decisive moment to change everything. Um, because you and I both know that self-help books can be good if, if people actually apply them. Many people who buy them don't even read them. And many people who read them maybe get halfway through and then abandon it. And some people get all the way through, but they don't apply it. So it's not the information that creates transformation. It is the decision. And so it, that decision to say, you know what? My story's not done. I'm here for something bigger. I'm here for something better. That was the catalyst for everything. Yeah. So what was the decision that made you like, I want to just kind of like kind of follow the journey in your head. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so you made the decision. I'm going to read these self-help books. I'm going to do something different. And so what was the first self-help book that you read? Do you remember? I do remember. Uh, It was actually an audio uh, book. Uh, It was a book on CD. Um, It is a program by Tony Robbins called Lessons in Mastery. And Lessons in Mastery is probably one of Tony's least known works. Most people know Personal Power or um, Get the Edge. Those are kind of his classics. But Personal Power, in my opinion, is, is one of the most powerful. And I got my hands on that. I spent some of the last money that I had to get it. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, I, I got home and uh, I was presented with a, a, what I call a crossroad moment where I could open it and I could begin to, to consume it right away. Or I could say, well, I'll get to it tomorrow. And I said, you know, this, this is like borderline life or death. So let's start now. And it was late. I mean, it was maybe like 1230 a.m. And I was in my car and I popped the CD in and I started listening to it. And I was in my car for hours just listening to these uh, audios. And so, yeah, Lessons in Mastery was was where I started. Mm. And you were how old? I was uh, like 17, 18 at that time. Yes, you were still pretty young. Yeah. Mm hmm. And, and had you been homeless at that point yet, or was that before or after? After. 
It was after being homeless. Yep. So how did you end up being homeless when you were 17? Oh, no, sorry. The homeless happened after. Uh, I was homeless when I was maybe 20, uh, 20, 21. Okay. And how did that happen? How did you end up homeless? Uh, Well, I was living in New York City. So I'm originally from Vermont. And when I graduated high school, I was pretty clear that I was not going to go to college. And so I moved to New York City. Uh, I lived there for a while. And um, just as a kind of a sequence of events unfolded, um, it, it, the dice rolled out that I didn't have a place to stay. And um, yeah, I was, I was homeless for not very long, maybe a week and a half, but a week and a half is, <laughs> it feels like an eternity in that. Where did you live during that period? Where did I live? In like a car or outside or a park? Uh, I mean, it, in, in various places. I slept on the subway a couple nights. Um, you know, there was an abandoned building uh, uh, near an apartment complex that I snuck into and slept in one night, um, just wherever I could find a spot. Okay. So, um, how did you turn that around? Um, very similar to how I turned myself around the first time. The, the funny thing was there was a huge difference between that moment because I was very empowered. Like my circumstances had rolled out that were kind of unfortunate and I didn't have a place to stay, but I didn't let it get me down. I was in very much solution mode. How can I turn this around? How can I get out of this? That's in the, in the book, in the CD series, um, Lessons in Mastery. One of the lessons is positive questions, positive questions. So most people have a tendency to ask negative questions. What if I die? What if this doesn't work? What if they leave me? What if, what if, what if? And it's usually negative. And the positive questions gets you to entertain the other side. What if it works? What if I can figure this out? What could be an answer? How can I do this? That's a very empowering way to think. And that actually activates what's called possibility thinking. And so uh, as, as kind of sad and unfortunate as that period was, um, I was actually very empowered. And so one night I said to myself, okay, essentially the answer to this is that I need money because money will help me get a place. It'll help me, you know, do the things that I need to do. I said, great, how can I make some money? And I'm racking my brain and I'm thinking about all these different things that I've done. And I had a pretty cool background with some different things like martial arts and, um, and writing and, and things like that. And so I had some different things that I had done and I was like, eh, I could kind of make money with that, I guess. And I could kind of make money with that, I guess. And then it just dawned on me. And it was like, I have done a pretty good job of turning myself around. You know, the last couple of years that I was in high school, I got really good grades. Um, I improved my health. I improved my mindset. Like my life really shifted in a big way. And I said, I bet, I didn't know this for sure, but I imagined it would be true. I bet that someone would pay me to help them make their lives better. And uh, I put an ad in Craigslist and I, I would pay handsomely if I could get my hands on the copy of that Craigslist ad, because <laughs> uh, I mean, it was like one big paragraph run on sentence. It was like, there was no copywriting skills. There was no nothing, but it was, it was very from the heart. And it basically said, Hey, um, you know, I can help you change your life. If you're feeling these types of things and you're wanting these types of things, 
um, I can help. And I got a call that day from a guy that lived in Brooklyn. Um, he was kind of at a crossroads in life looking to make his life better. And we met at a Starbucks. Um, Didn't he work on Wall Street or something like that? He did. That's right. He worked on Wall Street, absolutely hated his job. Um, he was miserable, miserable. And, um, you know, we just, we had a really powerful conversation and, uh, near the middle of the conversation, he kind of revealed to me that he didn't want to have anything to do with wall street anymore. He wanted this completely different life. And he had some funky beliefs and stories about that. He didn't deserve it or it wasn't possible. And so I saw the opportunity for him. If I could help him shift that thinking, he could have a completely new and different life, um, new and better life. And so that's what we did. And he paid me for a month up front. And that was, I was like, didn't you, like not, you didn't even like ask for that much. Like you, I think you t- tell no. the story of the actual payment. Cause that's, yeah. So, so <laughs> you want, you want, you want the story. Well, it's, um, good. it's good. I just want you to share it. Cause I, I know it, but I think it's good. Yeah. So I had never charged for anything like that before. I mean, that was like completely new territory to me. So I had thought through like what I was going to say. I had thought through like how we were going to work together. It was going to be like every week at a specific day and time for an hour. Like I had it all figured out, but the only thing I didn't figure out was how much I was going to charge. And so we have this like hour plus long conversation. And at the end of it, he's like, okay, I'm in how much. And I was like, I had no idea. Like I had no idea. But I didn't want to break the rapport. I didn't want to break the trust. And I wanted to sound like at least I knew what I was talking about. And so um, I just looked him straight in the face and said, a hundred. And, but I didn't qualify that. Like, what does that mean? A hundred a month, a hundred a minute, like, you know, but that's all I had the courage to say. And I, so I looked him straight in the face. And to this day, I don't know why I did it, but I, but this is what I did. I took my hand. And I looked him straight in the face and I said, a hundred. And I just froze. <laughs> and that's, that's literally all I had the courage to do. And he goes, and when, when eyes go up like that, it means they're calculating. When eyes go up like that, it means they're calculating. And so he was doing the math and I'm like, oh no, what is that? What is he doing? And he goes, well, it's a little more than I thought, but, um, you know, I think it's going to be worth it. Come with me. And he picks me up and he pulls me outside to the ATM and he pulls out $400 and he crams it into my hand. And I didn't even look at it. I was too scared to even look at it. And he, go, he shakes my hand. He says, okay, coach, I'll see you next week. And as soon as he's like far away, I look at the money and it was $400. So in his mind, what that meant was $100 an hour. And he paid me for a month up front. And that was more, I made more money in that like hour or in those four hours, I guess, than, you know, like in, in, you know, a couple weeks of work for me back in those days. And Um, and how long ago was that? I was, I'm 38 today that I was 21. So almost 20 years ago. Yep. So, you know, $100 hundred dollars an hour. I mean, what was the minimum wage twenty years ago? Maybe. Oh yeah, I mean, five, you know, I don't know, six, eight. I don't even know, but it wasn't yeah. much. I mean, high, high. Let's put it this way: high level, 
you know, psychotherapists back then were making about a hundred bucks an hour. And so that was like an absolute home run for me. Uh, but more so it was a home run in the sense of like, I'm an entrepreneur uh, and, and it completely radically changed my concept of time and money because money and time are not necessarily relative. Um, what he was paying me for was not my time, but the value of that time. And so a whole lot of money for not necessarily a whole lot of time. And so it completely changed my perspective of value and money and time. And um, that set me off onto a a trajectory that uh, has completely changed everything. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. You've gone from uh, basically sleeping on the subway uh, to where you are now, which is pretty incredible. So as far as the revolution of self goes and, and knowing how to break free and create who you want to be, you are a master at that. So let's talk about how people can do that, how they can become you. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. So, okay, so you're in this thing, and now you start to realize that it's, you know, not feeling good. How do you decide whether you should stay or go? And now we return to today's show. And now you coach, like, I mean, well, you, you say, who do you coach now on, on a one-on-one basis? I mean, people, yeah, I mean, I, I coach essentially two different types of people right now. Um, primarily founders of, of social impact businesses. Um, people who uh, have established businesses, they've been in business for a while and they're wanting to take things to the next level or people who are high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals who have exited a company Um, taking the traditional two to three years off, kind of fucked off, bought all the toys, did all the things. And they wake up one day and they're unfulfilled and they're desiring to do something big. And, um, 
I'm kind of uniquely qualified to work with those guys. So those are really the two types of people I currently work with. Yeah. And, and so, and, and you've done that in just like the past, you know, 18 years or whatever it is, 17 years, you've gone mm-hmm. from uh, basically sleeping on the subway uh, to where you are now, which is pretty incredible. So as far as yeah. the evolution of self goes and, and yeah. knowing how to break free and create who you want to be, mm-hmm. you are a master at that. Yeah. So let's talk about how people can do that, how they can become you. Um, And, you know, wherever I say to people all the time, wherever you are is the jumping off point. It's never too late. Yeah. You only fail if you stop trying. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about the three keys to personal liberation, um, because I think I, I love how you've laid this out in this book. And I I will definitely put a link to both of your books in the show notes, but let's talk about clarity. Yeah. Um, Well, clarity for, for human beings, clarity is like oxygen. If you don't know who you are, where you want to go, what you want to contribute, what you want to have, what you want to give, you're kind of stuck. And, so clarity is, is so, so important. It, 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 it's absolutely the fuel that takes people to unprecedented levels in their life. And clarity is tricky because it requires time and space. Um, the way that especially Western culture is designed, but really the world predominantly, um, it's very rapid, you know, you're working and, and you're moving and you're doing things. And very rarely do we take time to ask hard questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What do I want? What do I want happens to be the hardest question on the planet for people to answer. And yeah, it's I, I find that it's easier for people to uh, articulate what they don't want. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I've been doing this work, Rebecca, for 18 years. And every time I ask someone what they want, the immediate thing that they lead with is what they don't want. What does that illustrate to us? That they haven't taken the time to think about what they do want. They're very clear about what they don't want, but they haven't given themselves permission and time and space to think about what they actually do want. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that that we can get into, but suffice to say that they, they don't know. They don't have the clarity. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I'm so with you on that. I, you know, in my slave program, um, the very first thing they have to do is create strategy, which is the S part of slay. Yeah. Yeah. And part of creating strategy, I, I tell people, what's your vision? What's your goal? Where do you want to go in this negotiation? And like, it almost takes people by surprise sometimes because they're like, I just know that they shouldn't get away with this and they are doing that and this isn't Uh fair. And, but okay, true, 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 true. Yep. Now, what do you want? Yeah. It's (laughs) it's so funny that you say it like that because I, I, I have a similar version. So I'll say, okay, Rebecca, what do you want? And then you'll say, well, what I don't want is na 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 And I'll just very patiently wait and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when you're finished, I'll say, thank you, Rebecca. You have successfully not answered my question. Uh, the question is, what do you want? 
And that's an amazing opportunity because people come to the conclusion that they've been saying the wrong thing pretty much forever. And it gives them pause to go, oh, wait a minute. I can actually entertain this idea of what I want. And I'm in a safe place. This person isn't going to judge me. Uh, if anything, this person's going to encourage me. And it gives people permission to really go there, sometimes for the first time. And that that alone is a beautiful gift to give somebody. Totally, totally. And so in, the, in, in regards to self-improvement, uh, if someone doesn't have the opportunity to ask someone like you or myself that kind of question, the good news is they have the opportunity to ask that of themselves if, if they have the courage to do so. Yeah. So, but I want to like tie in your second uh, uh, piece of this, which is inner peace. Yeah. As we discuss this, because I think part of it sometimes, you know, like even giving yourself permission to say, I want inner peace or mm-hmm. that's a place I want to be in, in, in my, in my head or sure. in my body. Yeah. Um, I think some people struggle with, am I worth it? Yeah. Do I deserve this? You yeah. know, on a, on a subconscious or unconscious, unconscious level. Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, I think you're a thousand percent correct. Um, I've been doing this work for a long time. And the one thing there, there's, there's a number of themes that I see with people because at the end of the day, as different and diverse as people are, we are actually way more similar than we are different. And the one thing that most people have some level of challenge with is worthiness, worthiness. Am I worthy? Am I enough? And so inner peace is really not that hard, um, but it requires people to, to foundationally feel worthy to have that. And very often they don't. Yeah. I mean, and everybody struggles with that. I mean, I remember seeing an interview with Billy Joel like a long time ago where I think it was with Barbara Walters or something. And, and he there was a, like a camera showing his home, uh, in, um, in the Hamptons. And it, it was this castle basically on the water. And, and, and I remember him saying, like, I keep thinking that the real owner is going to go come home and go, you need to get the hell out of here. You don't belong yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even once he had achieved all of that, he still had that imposter syndrome. Like I, I don't deserve this. Who, who might have this, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we all struggle with that. Yeah. And so I, I want to make sure that we get into your tools um, uh-huh. because there's a lot of great stuff in here. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the ones that I love is this decisive decision making because it ties back to what we talked about when you were like early on, yeah. barely hanging on, flirting with being suicidal or, mm-hmm. run, or riding on the subways to sleep you know, you made that decision. So like, let's talk about decisive decision-making. It's, it's honestly, Rebecca, it's one of the most powerful tools that I have implemented into my life for those, for those reasons that you just said, but many reasons beyond that. Um, and I feel like 
the worthiness and decisive decision-making actually go hand in hand because decisive decision-making at its core, what it really says is, I trust myself. I trust myself to make this decision. I trust that I'll, I'll, I can follow through. I'll try. I, I trust is the undercurrent of the entire thing. And, um, yeah, it's just incredibly powerful. The, so, so let's use the medical world as an example. One of, the, one of the greatest phenomenons in the medical world is this concept of quitting cold turkey. So, for example, you have someone who smokes cigarettes for 25 years. Nicotine is one of the most addictive substances on the planet. And so if you smoke for 25 years, I mean, it's safe to say you are addicted. And not just psychologically, but um, biochemically. And yet, and yet, people can wake up one day after 25 years of smoking cigarettes like that and make a decision to quit. And that's called quitting cold turkey. And the funny thing is the statistics, the success rate on all the different ways you can quit smoking, the patch, the gum, the, the, the group programs, the this, the that, Cold turkey is by like head and shoulders the winner as far as long-term success. And the reason for that is what I call gravity of decision. Decisive decision-making forces you to make a a decision with gravity. And, And the gravity from a biological standpoint literally rewires your brain to create an entirely new identity. And so, excuse me, when you make decisive decisions, you are making decisions with gravity. And that is fundamentally the difference. Um, The opposite of that coin would be, for example, uh, January 1st. What happens to gym memberships? Uh, Everybody decides they want one. It's the it's like it's the New Year's resolution time. It's also the same month that um, divorces are super high. You know, there's like lots of divorces filed that month as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Everybody signs um, up for a new gym membership on January January first. Gym memberships go through the roof. Sixty to ninety days later, what happens? They drop off a cliff. Why? Because when the person made the decision, they didn't decisively decide. Decisive means gravity. It means gravity. And it's that gravity that carries the decision. It's not the decision itself. People make decisions all the time and they go back on them or they don't even follow through on them. So it's not the decision that's powerful. It is the gravity. It is the decisiveness. And so um, that's part one. And part two is this. Most people have a fear of making the wrong decision. Um, But making the wrong decision is something that you can rarely know at the beginning anyway. Um, There's that great quote, I'm going to mess it up, but it's something to the effect of like, good decisions are a function of bad decisions. And, you know, essentially the way that you get good at making good decisions is that you've made bad decisions and you've learned from them and, you know, you move on. And so... Uh, well, I decided it rarely ends up as bad as as the what if that game that you play. Well, that's 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 a whole that's a whole. You're totally right. That's a completely different side. That's completely true. I call it the instant apocalypse. 
most people have this like instant, like, oh man, I'm going to die or they're going to leave me like drastic, drastic, drastic. And the, the actual like scientific probability of that thing happening usually is like less than 2%. Like it's not, it's not ever actually real. Um, but the, so, so you're right. It's like, there's this fear. I don't want to make the wrong decision because, and then it's like drastic, 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 drastic. Um, but I have conditioned myself to value decisive decision-making, even if it leads me to a bad decision more than either not making a decision, just sitting and not making any decision or trying to, to hedge my bet and figure out what the right decision is. And the reason that I choose decisive decision-making is because I would rather be decisive and be wrong than be scared and be right. Because if I'm scared, then that's the predominant mode of operation that I live from. I don't want to make the wrong decision, so I better, I better be safe. I better, I better, I, I might want this, but if I go for it, I might not get it. But if I go for this, I'll know, I know that I can get that. So let's do that instead, right? That's how a lot of people um, make decisions. And um, it doesn't surprise me that most people don't have what they want. They're not being who they want. They're not going where they want to go, et cetera, et cetera. And so decisive decision-making is a beautiful opportunity for people to turn things around in their life fast. Mm, I love that. So I, 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 this whole discussion has, is so, so powerful and interesting. And, and it sort of has become kind of how you can create your life through a, a series of decisions, which I think is really, really, you know, that, that's the key right there. Yeah. And, and so... Um, I want to make sure that we get in like how people can contact you, how they can learn more about you and all that good stuff. So um, let us know that now. Yeah. Um, the, the Really the two best ways to get in touch with me is either my website, which is just shannongram.com um, or on good old Facebook. I, I spend a good amount of time on Facebook and that's usually where I connect with colleagues and friends and clients, things like that. Yeah. So go check him out, follow him, check out his books. I'm going to put links to both of his books uh, in the show notes. So definitely check those out as well. Thank you, Shannon. What a I, I feel like we could be talking about this for hours. Honestly, oh, we can barely fresh the surface here. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zong. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life. Thank you.